welcome back and thanks for tuning in to Oil & Gas Onshore, where I am on a relentless pursuit to bring value, unity, and information to the energy industry one conversation at a time. So sit back, relax, and remember that even this very device you're listening on requires some form of hydrocarbon. This episode is brought to you by our new sponsor for the Oil & Gas Onshore podcast. A big shout out to Technip FMC, a company who truly represents the future of the oil and gas industry. Hey everyone, look, not only do you get awesome weekly content by listening, now you've got a chance to win some serious swag brought to you by Technip FMC. Each week, one lucky listener will win a bundle of gear, which includes everything I'm about to list. Seriously, everything. An audio duffel bag, a Yeti tumbler, an executive power bank power charger, a Columbia neck gator, and a set of Ace Pods 2.0, which are the true wireless Bluetooth earbuds. All you got to do is click the link in the show notes and enter your information to win. Simple. Now go get your swag on. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm here with Craig Stanky, core founder of Recon Africa. Craig, where are you joining me from today? Because obviously we're in Zoom land. Unfortunately, we're not able to do this in person, but where are you sitting today? I'm currently in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Justin. You know, that makes me very envious. You know, I, I, we just, we've never met before, but right before we got going here, I mentioned to you that I'm from Vernon, BC, which is a stone throw away from Van. Man, how are things in Vancouver? Well, they're, you know, we're under lockdown, but, you know, I think Canada in general is lightly affected by the COVID-19, more so than the U.S., and so it's kind of a limited lockdown. Yeah. But, you know, a little different, just like, you know, south of the border. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Well, yeah, I haven't been back home for a while, but I certainly have friends and family that still live in the Okanagan and some friends that still live out in Vancouver. And yeah, I think it's, you know, a lot of it's business as usual, but certainly, I mean, globally, things have been affected, you know, and especially in the energy industry, you know, demand's down and, you know, the economies are all, you know, facing certain bunch of challenges. But I certainly wouldn't be opposed to being back in BC right now. There's a lot that I miss. I'm here in Houston. And it's quite a bit different than Vernon, British Columbia or Vancouver, British Columbia for that matter. But yeah, I never thought I'd sit down here with someone from Vancouver who's potentially drilling in Africa. So this will be an interesting conversation. (laughs) Well, actually, I was last, what was it, two Fridays ago, I was in Kelowna, BC. So 35 miles from your hometown where you grew up. And I was at my first investor conference since COVID hit. Oh, yeah. And yeah, that was in Kelowna. And I was representing Recon Africa, of course, and actually we were, so I was a little different being in a conference, uh, you know, with the Recon or with the COVID-19 protocol, but Recon Africa was rated at the end of the conference, the number one company to invest in. Wow. Okay. And so what are some of the reasons for that? I mean, obviously it's a long story, but I mean, high level, what makes that stand to fruition? Well, it's because Recon Africa, you know, now you know, it's a public company listed on the TSX Venture Exchange. RECO is the uh, symbol, but it's only a $120 million market cap. And it has leased up the, the rights to a new sedimentary basin that we discovered back in 2014, the Kavango Basin in northeast Namibia and northwestern Botswana. It's a big, deep sedimentary basin up to 30,000 feet deep. And every basin in the world of this depth produces commercial levels of hydrocarbons. And so what, what is so exciting about it is the fact that one little company, $100 million market cap, 
owns the entire sedimentary basin, which is aerially larger than the Eagleford. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, Eagleford, you have a hundred plus companies owning the petroleum and natural gas rights. And here in Namibia, where they have royalties of 5% versus say 25% in Texas, we own the entire sedimentary basin. So it's pretty much unprecedented in, in my career. Wow. Interesting. So that's what all the excitement's about. Yeah. Well, and I definitely want to keep diving down that road, but let's back up a little bit. I mean, how, tell us a little bit where you're from. Let's start there. Cause as again, as someone from up North, I'm always interested in the story. So where are you from? Are you from Vancouver or, or, or where? No, originally, Justin, I'm an Albertan. Okay. And, you know, I grew up in a, you know, in, in the ranching community in Alberta. And back then you had two choices, you know, you had to go raise cattle or you get in the oil and gas industry. So I worked my way, I worked my way through school, working on the oil rigs, started as a, as a roughneck and worked my way up to the derricks. And uh, just like my whole family did, that's how we got ourselves through school. So, you know, learned a little bit about the practical end of the oil and gas industry, got myself through school in the oil industry and just started out doing acquisitions and divestitures in Alberta in the oil and gas sector. It was a good time to be doing that. And that set me up to get into the exploration and production end of it. But I turned my attention back in 2002 to the unconventionals and put together the first publicly listed coal bed methane company in Canada. And anyway, and, and then I started, I got into the shales, the source rock, source rocks, et cetera, because that's really where the big prize is. And that was just when you know, some of the Mitchell energy was cracking the code on uh, liberating gas from the shales and the Barnett, et cetera. So anyway, that's where I'm from. But just to give you a little, you know, this, this, that's kind of, a, I guess, a segue to how we developed this play, you know, where it emanates from, the Kavango Basin. And we're very successful in the Paris Basin back in 2009, 10, 11, where we, we picked up about 600,000 acres in the heart of the shale oil play in the Paris Basin. And it was uh, analogous to the Bakken in uh, North Dakota. Okay. And where's the Paris Basin located? Yeah, it's, well, it's right in France and it's, it goes right underneath, you know, the city of Paris, but largely, you know, the most opportune area is east of Paris. Wow. And I mean, I asked a, an obvious question, but I, I've never heard of that. And so I, I mean, so oftentimes plays get named maybe somewhere's different, but wow, yeah, I, yeah, I had exactly. no idea. It could be in a different country. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Huh. But it is in France. And, but we really nailed the heart of the play with some key source rock experts, Dan Jarvie, which I'll talk about, you know, as we proceed through the interview, and Scott Evans, one of the VPs at Halliburton out of Houston, I, I did a deal with in the Paris Basin. And, and with those two guys, that really helped us identify the sweet spot of the, of the shale oil play in the Paris Basin. And to where, you know, I had my choice of farming out to Shell or ConocoPhillips and I picked ConocoPhillips and we farmed out to them, but then ultimately the French government wouldn't let us develop the play. So we, we sold the company because we had other interesting assets in Europe, but that was in 2011. And then in 2000, right after that, I bought IHS Market's first source rock study, worldwide source rock study. They designers stand it. I was their second customer and I hired four geologists and good international geologists 
and Dan Jarvie, who's a geochemist, former chief geochemist of EOG, largest unconventional oil producer in the U.S., and and then also one of the key technical guys at Mitchell Energy at the turn of the century that you know cracked the code on liberating gas from the shales. Yeah, which is as you know has changed the nature of our industry. So anyway, I had Dan with me for good international geologists and a data set from IHS. We went around the world looking for source rocks. We were actually looking for a good conventional play, but, you know, it all starts with the kitchen or the source rock. You can't have a good conventional play without, you know, it being filled by a prolific source rock, right? Yeah. So as you can imagine, that's quite an effort going around the world looking for new plays, but the short story is we wound up in northeast Namibia. We had a criteria, Justin, of, it was actually a, a criteria list, 22 separate criteria. 11 was above ground and 11 below ground. Okay. Above ground, Namibia ticked almost all the boxes. So what were some of the real key components to that? Because that's, yeah, like what, what were you looking for? Like geographically or like how, explain what do you mean by that? Well, you know, access to market, you know, above ground, let's talk yeah, yeah. about the above ground criteria, access to market, infrastructure, a good internationally recognized petroleum law and petroleum regime, royal, you know, license contracts, which are key. You know, like, you know, you typically get four different types of contracts. It's a service contract, a profit sharing or production sharing, or the top of the list, in, in my view, is a license contract. It gives the, you know, all the shareholders much more security in developing, commercially developing a play. And so license contracts were important, which Namibia has some of the, you know, fantastic license contracts. Royalties, big factor. Namibia has some of the, the best royalty or fiscal terms in the world. The royalties 5%. I mean, that is hard to beat. Yeah. So those are the type of things we're looking for. Interesting. Interesting. No, I mean, that's so again, I mean, out of curiosity, you say you gathered up a team of folks and travel. Like, I mean, did you do your research and then travel to different countries and get in touch with people? Because I mean, it seems like an awful lot of just it's not very common, I guess we say is people travel the world trying to find oil and gas plays. So or do you have connections throughout the globe to point in the right direction? Because I mean, obviously, that's just not something you stumble upon. And it takes time and effort and flying. And how did you ultimately, like logistically, how, do you, how did you set out to do that? Well, we had a good solid data set from IHS. Okay. That was the start on the I source gotcha. rocks. So we know where the good source rocks are. And then, and, you know, and then we were looking for you know, something more shallow. Once we found good short source rocks, something more shallow, like you know, the proper amount of faulting, et cetera, to create conventional traps. So the data set was key knowledge of fiscal terms, you know, the political environment, et cetera, et cetera, was also key. I mean, I, I've got, you know, from past work, I've got a fair amount of data and acquired knowledge, you know, to that regard as well. So, you know, those are real guiding, you know, the guiding lights. Yeah, no, that's super interesting. So there's obviously a lot of potential. And where are you at in the timeline of things? I mean, because obviously it's, I would imagine doing business over there, it takes time. I've never done any international work, but I mean, where do you guys stand currently and what do you see being the next step in this endeavor? Well, we're ready to drill. 
I mean, we bought our own rig. It's in Houston, very close to you at Henderson Riggs Yard, right by the George Bush International. Yeah. And it's being refurbished, and we're going to have it on a ship in late October on its way to Namibia for uh, sputting the first of three wells in the Alcabango Basin in December. You know, with that, and that's going to open up this basin. So we are, I mean, we're months away. No kidding. If you can disclose, I mean, what are some of the key components to the basin? I mean, I've seen, you know, in other interviews you've done, not necessarily yourself, but Mr. Daniel Jarvie, you know, talking about just the sheer volume of hydrocarbons in place there. I mean, what would you compare it to here in the U.S.? Well, it's, you know, the Midland Basin, the Permian, the sub-basin of the Permian, the Midland. That's a fantastic analog. I mean, they're both Permian-aged rocks. They're both of similar depth, et cetera, et cetera. It's the, Perm- the Midland Basin in the Permian in Texas is, is a good analog. Okay. Hmm. Crazy. And so when, when going over there, I mean, do you go in there, you prove it up, and then you just, you know, deliver it to potential buyers? Or what does that look like? I mean, do you guys want to be the, like a pure play Kavango Basin operator? Or what does that look like? Well, we've discovered a new sedimentary basin. And that's why we have it. And do you mind if I just tell the story how we discovered it? Oh, I would love to hear it. Yeah, because then that kind of sets up, you know, what we're going to do with it. But it was really, it was back in 2013 when we landed in Northeast Namibia. Again, you know, above surface, Namibia ticked almost all the boxes. Below surface, at that time, we didn't have a lot of data, Justin. But what we did have is, is the logs of a well. It's called the ST1 well drilled by Atosha Petroleum in 1964. Now, albeit it was drilled in the shallow part of the basin, like the basement floor was only like 10,000 feet deep, and the well went down about 6,000 feet, if that. But the importance of that well is that they drilled through 620 feet of Permian shales. So we knew we had a source rock. And we just, based on more of a geological hunch, we felt that the basement floor got a lot deeper as you went to the east towards Botswana. And so the, the basin got a lot deeper and, and the sedimentary rock got a lot thicker. So I just, based on that hunch, I started leasing 6.3 million acres in, with the Ministry of Energy in, in Namibia, specifically in the capital of Windhoek. But while I was at the Ministry of Energy, the guys there said, you know, hey, Craig, our government has flown a very high-density, tight-grid aeromagnetic survey, and nobody has ever acquired it, and consequently, nobody's ever interpreted it. And so I bought it immediately because that gives you the depth to basement, an aeromag survey. It figures out where the igneous and metamorphic rock is, and then everything above that is sedimentary. So that's what we were looking for. So I acquired it, and we knew that a fellow by the name of Bill Cathy, the CEO of Earthfields Technologies in Houston, was about the best guy in the business for that particular type of specialized work, interpreting you know, basement floor, depth of the basement through aeromagnetic surveys. Bill at Earthfields does, as I understand it, all of Chevron's worldwide new basin work. His client list is Exxon Shell, Conoco, you know, Occidental. And uh, so he is an expert in this field. So I gave him, the, I hired him, gave him the data. And six weeks later, he came back and, and I, I know this is cliche, but he literally said, Craig, are you sitting down for this? <laughs> and he said, you know, we've accurately mapped 
the basement floor under your lands. And he said, you guys have discovered a new sedimentary basin. So this thing is 30,000 feet deep. And every basin in the world, this depth produces commercial levels of hydrocarbons. So that was a, you know, it was a huge turning point in the evolution of the Kavango Basin. But that was in 2014, Justin. And oil, if you recall, was in the spring of 14, was about $110 a barrel. And then it took a precipitous slide on its way down to 26. So yeah. I just... I just put this on the shelf and I paid the rentals, did the minimum amount of work required until better times. And then we took it public on the TSX venture at September, 2019. Okay. So how, I mean, I guess I have a couple questions, but right now, I mean, with regards to commodity prices, are you affected? I mean, everyone's affected by commodity prices. Don't get me wrong, but 40 to 50, is that something that allows you to go in there and still remain, you know, in a good business position or are you hoping are you long on oil or or gas to get you through there to obviously make it worthwhile or i mean how hinged are you to, to commodity prices right now well we're looking more at what the strip price is or what oil is going to be in a couple of years from now because after we drill these wells you know this whole thing we're opening up a new basin it's going to take a while to get into production so we anticipate best guess we'll be in production by 2022. And, you know, so we're, I'm looking at what oil is then, but very importantly, Justin, when you run your, you do your economic modeling and you do a, you run your models on a 25% royalty, like, you know, typically, you know, industries paying in Texas and elsewhere and a 5% royalty is amazing how, you know, how much more profitable each barrel is at 5% royalty because that's right off the top. Of course, it's right yeah. off the top. It's gross revenue. Right. So consequently, and, and I'll be candid, we are getting, we're doing, working on a more sophisticated economic modeling with third parties right now. But, you know, our in-house modeling is, you know, we feel that, you know, will be the conventional component of the Kavango will be profitable at $35 rent. Okay. And then I think, I mean, every model and forecast shows that, will be above that hopefully i mean but a lot of that is contingent on obviously how we come out of this covid what demand looks like moving forward i mean i don't know about you know obviously here but out there the demand for energy i think over in those parts of the world i mean you look at a lot of non-oec non-oecd countries the demand for hydrocarbons i think is only going to increase but for africa does that really help with their energy security because i i don't know what their imports exports look like but does that really I mean, I would assume that's going to certainly help them just from an energy security standpoint, having that type of basin in there within, you know, arm's length. I mean, can you touch on that at all on, on how? Well, it really certainly. Works? Yeah. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, we've like the Namibian dealing with the Namibian government, specifically the Ministry of Energy in Namibia. They're the most accommodating ministry that I've ever worked with around the world. And, you know, where they're coming from is. Like Namibia went through the War of Independence from 1966 to 1990. And, you know, and then, you know, they wanted to, like Angola to the north is the second largest OPEC sub-Saharan producer. And, you know, so they've got a lot of production. I, I, I think it's like 1.7 million barrels a day. So they're sandwiched right in between Angola and resource-rich South Africa. And, you know, they're just very desirous of getting 
their hydrocarbon base developed. It took them a little while. They came up with the wrong petroleum regime in the early, you know, at the turn of the century. Then oil went down. We had a worldwide recession. And anyway, now they've got their fiscal terms correct. Their hydrocarbon is state-of-the-art, and it's given industry confidence. So as a consequence, now, like Namibia is in the spotlight, Justin, for exploration. Offshore Namibia, you've got ExxonMobil. There's a big player offshore, Shell, Total, Tullo, et cetera. And onshore, we're the only significant player onshore by discovering this new onshore sedimentary basin that nobody knew was there until a few years ago. But the Namibian government, it's very important to them to get you know, their, these resources on stream. They're very, very supportive. And when we bought our rig, they knew we were serious. And I think we've really ingratiated ourselves with the Namibian government by having our own rig vertically integrated. We're in control of our destiny. And so it's important to them. And we have a good relationship. Well, I think, I think you've said it best is just having, you know, building that strategic relationship with local authorities. I'm sure it could either make it or break it. But I mean, again, so do you know, I mean, does Africa, I mean, is the demand for oil within Africa high enough to where they, I would imagine they import or are they a net importer or exporter? Do you have any idea? Well, Africa in general is, you know, you get net exporters from, you know, in Angola, Nigeria, and all the way up to Northern Africa. But then you've got countries like Namibia and Botswana who are unequivocally, you know, net importers. Okay. And, you know, they want to change that because it's expensive. You know, all their, you know, just hydrocarbon byproducts and, you know, and hydrocarbons themselves, gasoline, oil, et cetera. It's all important. No, then that, that certainly is a, is a win-win for, for them as a nation. So when going in there, I mean, are you looking to get at this, you know, conventionally or unconventionally? I mean, is it, and I don't know if you can disclose it, but is it, like you said, it's a shale. So ultimately there's certain completion techniques that'll be required. It's not like you'll be able to poke into it like a flowing sandstone and have oil flowing or are you able to share kind of what that looks like? Well, here's our goal. Number one, this is such an unusual circumstance, Justin, where, you know, you're opening up a new sedimentary basin. I mean, you know, you don't get an opportunity to do that probably more than once in your life, if that. Yeah. And so number one, we're going to, we bought our own rig because it's 40% cheaper than hiring a drilling company to do it. And in December, we're going to spud the first of three wells. And the number one goal is initially just to prove an active petroleum system, you know, which we're very confident is there. And we know that you know, the Permian shales are to the east of us, or sorry, to the west of us in the ST1 well. And then as you go deeper down into this from 10,000 10, foot basin to 30,000 feet, naturally the whole Permian petroleum system is gonna get a lot thicker. And typically it would be five to 10 times thicker. So we anticipate up to a 6,000-foot Permian petroleum system. And, Justin, that will comprise lower down the Permian shales and then up above conventional traps, Permian conventional traps. And then up above that, you know, you've got the Jurassic and Triassic, et cetera, that we expect to see more source rocks and more conventional traps. But the first three wells we just want to prove an active petroleum system. Then... And then at the same time, we're going to be shooting 2D seismic to better identify the conventional traps. And then after, so then that'll be the second goal is start delineating 
and drilling the conventional traps, which are sourced by you know what we believe to be a very uh, prolific Permian source rock or shale. Wow, that's crazy. Do you have any ideas or guesses on as to you know what what the initial productions might look like, or is that is it too early to tell? Well, it's too early to tell without question. But back to Dan Jarvie, who's a source rock expert, and again, the former chief geochemist for EOG, this is what he does. Is, you know, he's a source rock expert. And with all the new data that we collected last winter, a couple months ago, I gave it all to Dan. I said, okay, Dan, here's our, our new data set. Can you attempt to tell us how much oil you think the Kavango Basin has generated? Like, how big is this? Anyway, Dan comes back and, and you know, it took him a few weeks, but he comes back and, and this report is on our website, the Jarvie Geochemical Report. I encourage everybody to have a look at it. But Dan thinks there's over 100 billion barrels of oil generated in this basin by using only 12% of our lands. And, you know, he's being very conservative. I know 100 billion barrels of oil is a lot of oil to, you know, to be held by one company, but the fact is we own the whole basin. That's the issue. <laughs> That's great. And so we're, you know, assuming Dan's even in the ballpark, I mean, this is the most, it's the highest impact oil and gas play worldwide right now. Hmm. That is unreal. You know, and a huge shout out to you and your team for <laughs> making this discovery and taking a gamble on it because obviously there's, you know, we're playing with Mother Nature, so nothing's guaranteed. But, I mean, are you at any point, I mean, concerned about the potential of it not being what you guys think it is? Or, or what's the biggest limiter for everything? Or are you just fully confident on what you're seeing here? Well, I, here's where we're very confident is in stage one or phase one, proving up an active petroleum system. You know, we know the shale's there. We know when you get deeper into the basin which we've proven through the Aeromag survey, it gets a lot deeper under our lands. We know that the shit, you know, the source rock, the shales are going to get thicker and they're going to source, you know, a big conventional place because we know the traps are there. But anyway, we're, so phase one, step one, we're, we don't see a lot of risk. You know, okay. then once we start developing the conventional plays, identifying traps and seal, et cetera, that's when you're going to incorporate more risk. But by that time, we're going to have the data on an active petroleum system. So let's say, you know, that'll be Q2, 2021. And look who's already invested in Namibia offshore. You got Exxon, Shell, Total. And what we have here is a major size play held by a little company. So as far as I'm concerned, once we have the right data, we've got built-in joint venture partners right in the country. They, <laughs> they like the geology, they yeah. like the fiscal terms for sure. And they, they trust the government. So I think that we're going to be able to run an active process on partnering in Q2, Q3, 2021. And we'll be using the strength, we'll be using other people's money to develop the, you know, the more conventional part of this, you know, of this play. And we'll just let the, we'll let the strength of those joint ventures drive shareholder value for Recon Africa. No kidding. Huh. I mean, have you had, I mean, what's the biggest, I guess, challenge for you when, when looking at potential investors or unless you've obviously, do you have a lot of people, you know, knocking at your door trying to get into the opportunity here or what? Well, here, let's talk about the investors first, like from yeah. the equity side. 
And then let's talk about the you know, joint venture partners. But here's what's really interesting. The industry is so lackluster that in Canada, there hasn't been a successful oil and gas financing announced in all of 2020. And we, you know, we've previously raised $8.4 million to buy a rig and we've got all that, you know, we're ready to go, but we still needed to finance our drilling program, getting the, the rig over to Namibia in October and drilling these three wells, putting the first one in December. We need to finance it. We needed about, you know, about $20 million Canadian to do this. In June, when, you know, the industry is upside down, I went to our underwriters at Haywood Securities in Canada and I said, gee, you know, we got to get this, the rig on the ship and spud these wells. You know, how much do you think we can raise? And we thought, wow, maybe we can raise $6 million because nobody else is raising a penny. <laughs> and so we announced in July, Justin, we announced a financing 6 to $10 million and thinking we could at least make six. And, you know, you don't know until you get out there and start, you know, talking to the investors. But this is such an unusual high impact opportunity. But before we knew it, we blew through $10 million. We had to get exchange <laughs> approval to upsize it to 20. We blew right through 20 million. And we had we got approval again to go to 22. And we wound up raising $23 million in like a matter of weeks. Wow. So, I mean, it's just, it was amazing. But it's like people understand that this is, you know, there's just no other opportunities out there. Like the risk reward on this is off the map. And so we had a huge, very successful financing. We're now fully financed to drill these three wells. So we have the asset, we have our own rig, we have the right people and we're fully financed. There's nothing to stop us. And then again, as discussed, once we get to modern logs and core, we're going to be in a position to run a, an active process with joint venture partners. It doesn't have to be the guys offshore Namibia, but I'm sure that they're going to be at the table amongst others because, you know, this is the enormity of this play is just, I mean, it is staggering. Mm. Wow. hundred billion barrels, Justin, hundred billion How do you sleep barrels, at night? <laughs> like, yeah, it's tough. Uh, <laughs> high class problem though. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but if you think of it, if you think of it and you, you know, you say, look, the, the conventionals are, you know, typically your recovery rate is up to 60%, but let's just call it, you know, let's call it 10%. And, and again, this is a, as Jarvis concerned, this is only on 12% of our lens, but let's go with it. If you have a 10% recovery rate of hundred billion barrels, that's 10 billion barrels. You know, if, if, a barrel in the ground is worth $10. The net present value is worth $10 in the ground with a 5% royalty. Easy. So, you know, 10 times 10 billion is a lot of money. And one company holds it. Now, it's going to take a while to develop all that, etc. But we've got this tied down under an initial exploratory period that we can extend up until I think it's 2026. But then we can go into a long-term production license with the Namibian government, which we've got it nailed down for 25 years, and we can extend it another 10 years. So we've got this big asset locked down. It's going to take a while to develop, of course. Yeah. But, I mean, it's a, it's a monster. Yeah, no, you're at the, it sounds like you're at the tip of an iceberg here. And like you said, probably one of the most exciting opportunities in your career from what it sounds like. 
Well, let me ask you this. I mean, are you going to go stand by the rig on your first spot or what? Oh, absolutely. I'll be there. Yeah. I'll be there. A lot of us will be there. I bet. Yeah. No, that's cool. So are you for like, you know, obviously drilling operations, are you, is it going to be ran by a bunch of, you know, local folks? Or are you bringing people from North America or like, what, what does that part look like? Well, we're going to do, we are doing what we can, Justin, to employ the local people. For sure. And currently, we're, we have a debushing operation for, like, this is all just Kalahari Desert with scrub brush. We have 10 local people debushing our locations. We've hired a local water well driller to drill into the aquifer to produce, you know, uh, water. So we're going to, we're hiring as many local people as we can. We have a local country representative, Pioneer Energy. I hired them back in 2013. Wonderful solid guys to work with but when it comes to manning the rig itself like you know drillers derrickmen tool push supervisors etc you know we're gonna we'll bring most of those people in from largely the u.s and as you can imagine there's a lot of good talent available right now so we kind of yeah now's a good time there's a lot of good hands sitting on the sidelines ready to get after it and probably would love an opportunity to go overseas and do something like that and so are you farming out the engineering and the project management side, or are you guys handling that? We're handling it ourselves. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah. We've got That's some excellent. really good, very experienced people in Recon Africa to handle that. We put a heck of a team together. It's, uh, it's probably the best technical and operations team I've ever put together. Wow. Well, I mean, in something like this, I would imagine you want nothing but the A team attacking this. But yeah, no, that's super exciting. And, and you know, hopefully we can keep in touch. And if you're ever down here in Houston, would love to grab a coffee and, and hear about it. I'll try and read the headlines here as things develop over time. But before we sign off, is there anything I want to ask a few questions more on the personal side, just to get to know me just a little bit better. But is there anything else you'd like to relay to, you know, any anyone who's interested or just, you know, do you have anything else you'd, you'd like to to, to share with the audience on a personal level no on the Kavango and then your guys's operations and, and you guys you know from a business perspective if there's anything else you'd like to share I think that pretty well sews it up again you know I think that the fact that we're fully funded in this environment you know is such a you know that really de-risks what we're doing right and the fact that we have our own rig it's being refurbished right now. It's going to be on a ship late October. We're going to, and, and we've tied up the asset and we've got the right people to do that. I just, you know, we're only months away from opening up this basin. Yeah. And this is, it's unequivocally the most exciting opportunity I've ever been involved in. And it's just, it's, it's unprecedented in my career. And, and so it's going to work, you know, we're embarking on quite an opportunity. It's going to be a wild ride. So Justin, stay with us. You got to follow this because I will. You know, this is opening the Kavango Basin, unprecedented. I'm looking forward to seeing your your stock price score, you know, shoot up through the roof, and and seeing all the headlines come pouring in once you open this thing up. So we looking out for it. Well, then, with that being said, before we close out, I always ask close out with a few personal questions. So you know, obviously, you're you're CEO of the company. You got a lot of things going on. I'm sure trying to unplug is challenging. But with that being said, do you have any daily habits or routines that, that contribute to the success and, and by way of un- being able to unplug and recharge and then keep tackling this? Because I mean, I, I could see this being very consuming. And so w- what do you do to kind of get away and unplug for a bit? Do you have anything on a daily that you do? Well, I've got a 
I've got a farm and across the border in Washington state and where we raise horses. And oh, nice. so when I need to decompress, I go ride a good horse. Okay. Have you always been into riding horses or what? Yeah. Well, as I mentioned earlier, you know, grew up in the ranching community uh, in Alberta and been riding all my life. And yeah, it's a big part of, of our family. You know, we all ride and so it's just a good way to enjoy life and decompress when you're not working, but we didn't, <laughs> no uh, you know, it's been a busy summer for Recon Africa, so we didn't get quite as much riding in this summer as uh, we normally do, but it's all going to be worth it because this is, we're really coming up to the culmination of, boy, you know, what is it, seven, eight years of, of work, you know, after discovering this play, and it's the most exciting time of my life. So I can ride horses later, I guess, on a more regular <laughs> basis, but yeah, uh, I still like to get a little bit in. And by the way, just a quick correction. I'm the founder of the company, but our new CEO is Scott Evans, okay. former VP of Halliburton in Houston. And he's uh, one of the guys I worked with, you know, back in the, in the Paris Basin. So he, he joined, us, joined us as CEO just a few months ago, but he's doing a heck of a job. Hey, there you go. Well, a big shout out to that gentleman there. And you said it was Scott Evans? Scott Evans, yes. Yeah, okay. That name sounds familiar, but nonetheless, I'm sure he's excited to jump on the wagon with you guys and take over the game, if you will. But, well, look, it's been a pleasure. Before we close out, I just want to take a moment to tell the audience about some upcoming events. Hey, everybody. It's Savannah from OGGN, and here are the events on deck for December 2020. This month, we only have three events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our events newsletter. We send it out every month, and it includes more info about the events that I talk about here. We even include events that occur two months ahead of time, so if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. First up, we have our two OGGN live streams, and on the third, we have Moving Up in a Downturn, and on the eighth, we have Quality Management in a Down Economy. The only in-person event we have this month is the API and SPE Houston Chapter Luncheon about the rebuilding of the American oil field, which will be at the Petroleum Club on the 8th. Other than these events, OGGN may be hosting some more live streams this month, so make sure to check out our Facebook, LinkedIn, or our website for more information about any of the live streams we have coming up. If you have any questions about the events or any of our shows, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for December, and I hope you guys have a great month, and thanks for tuning in. Great. Thank you. And anyone out there in the Houston area interested in playing oil field hockey, come join the Hack and Wet crew for some old-timer hockey. We do it every two weeks at Memorial City Mall Ice Rink. Hit me up on LinkedIn for more details. And Craig, it's been an absolute pleasure. I'm excited to see what you guys have going on. Looking forward to keeping up with it. If people are interested to hear more about it, obviously I'm sure there's probably a ton more information out there. You know, your website or any other resources that people can look at. Well, I think uh, our website, reconafrica.com, is very well populated with some really good information to help people understand what we're doing, just how credible this play is, and, and yep. you know, the size of what we're you know, going to tackle here. So reconafrica.com, that's, uh, that's where you go. Perfect. Well, we'll be sure to put that link in the show notes. And yeah, for everyone out there, I encourage you to keep connected and, and see what happens over the next few years here. So Craig, it's been, an, again, a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me today. And for everyone out there, always remember, when the density's up and the gas is down, open the choke. Let's go to town. Thanks, everybody. Thanks again for listening. Tune in next week for another episode of Oil & Gas Onshore, a production of Oil & Gas Global Network. For more information, visit OGGN.com.